Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. I like to call it the weekend Buckeye Talk sometimes. You guys have a whole three days to absorb us. We're getting it up a little bit late on Friday. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means, we're going to talk about Ohio State's latest recruiting commitment. Then we have five or six topics from the tech subscribers. So not rapid fire, but medium fire. I did record the traffic pod. It'll drop in next week. But, Stephen, we had enough football stuff happening, starting with the commitment, not unexpected, but still, when you get a commit, you get a commit, of Miles Lockhart, a cornerback from Arizona, committed to Ohio State on Thursday night. He is the number 18 commit in this class, and what do we make of Miles Lockhart? The two down, two to go for Tim Walton in this cornerback class, of course, with Miles Lockhart being the one that's probably going to slide into that nickel spot because that's where they've been recruiting him at the number 365 player, number 33 cornerback. And it's also just another win from that final weekend of June official visitors. They had seven guys that last week weekend there, six of them who were undecided coming into it. Bryce West committed on that Friday of the actual visit. Demario Witten committed the next day on that visit. And, now, and then Justin Scott obviously being the surprise commitment there and now and now you've got miles lockhart added to that so ohio state's in a very good position here to go to about a thousand during a, a official visit weekend and i looked in the past they've come close a couple of times there was one time during the 2022 class when they were taking their official visits the spring the summer of 2021 where they got all but one in a year but to go a hundred percent. If you add Aaron Scott and Kingston Vialamu Asa into the mix, eventually when they make their decisions on July 23rd and July 30th, that's a pretty impressive, you know, thing to be able to do. Cause that's hard to get every single person that you had on an official visit to commit to your school eventually. But with miles Lockhart, like I said, they want four corners. They have Bryce West. They've got miles Lockhart. Now that's two down two to go for Tim Walton as he continues to replenish that cornerback room. Miles Lockhart, an Arizona kid, just like Denzel Burke was a couple cycles ago. Denzel Burke was ranked around 200 in the country. Miles mm-hmm. Lockhart ranked 365. This is one of those things. We we It's good to use recruiting rankings as a guide. It's not the end-all, be-all. Okay, they went and got a kid from Arizona who's the number 365 overall player. 
they went and got him because they think he's better than the 365 overall player. This is one of those, mm-hmm. right? You identify something. There's something in his skill set. There's maybe he's got that dog in him. We don't, there's something they like here. And so you don't want to get caught up in it, but these are, I think we've said, it feels like when you're settling for a plan B, plan C, you have to acknowledge that. And if your plan B, plan C means, okay, we have a bunch of guys in the, you know, the 200 and 300s because we didn't get top 100 guys and we liked them, but we flipped them from, you know, Washington State or Iowa State. We have to acknowledge that that wasn't the plan. This is a guy ranked 365, but getting him this way, he's a plan A guy for them, Stephen, mm-hmm. right? Like that whatever it is that Tim Walton liked. And by the way, last time they went to Arizona to get a cornerback who wasn't a top 100 national guy, he turned out that he was going to be a starter from the moment he got to campus, that Denzel Burke was lower rated than J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock in his recruiting class. But yet he got here in the spring. He started game one as a true freshman and has been a starter ever since and is viewed as their number one corner going into his junior year. We don't want to put that on Miles Lockhart, but for people who follow recruiting by looking at the rankings, which is, I think I probably would put myself in that category. This is more than the ranking. Really, you can extend that to defensive back in general because Lathan Ransom, also an Arizona kid who might be one of the better players on this defense when you when the season starts for the 2023 season as well. So, I mean, they, they've only been in Arizona recently. Those two, Jack Miller was the first in the 2017 class and you're doing Ke- Keon Gray's in the 2022 class. That's it as far as Arizona people. So that's really since Ryan Day has showed up here. To, but to your point, with guys who aren't top 150 recruits, it kind of depends on when you get them because if they were getting miles Lockhart in October, having offered him in August after they had missed out on Bryce West and Aaron Scott and Kobe black and Charles Lester, then it's like, all right, well, you didn't want to, that's not the guy you wanted. That's the guy you had to take because you missed out on all these guys. But with him, with the Armstrong twins, with Mark Nave, these lower rated guys, uh, Sam Williams Dixon, these lower rated guys that you took in March, April, May, and June, while you're still chasing some of these bigger prospects, that means you just like those guys and you don't care about what the ranking is. So the con- it's all about when you get them that allows us to provide the context of what, how you should view a type of, type of commitment like this. They, he, they offered Miles Lockhart a year ago. And it's felt like he's been an Ohio State lean ever since then while he went through the due diligence of the process. So you can look at it differently. Okay, it's not, well, you settled. It's, okay, what do you see there that maybe the rest of us aren't seeing yet? I like him being in Arizona. And if we talk about where you got to go and we talk about, okay, once upon a time they were in Texas heavy, well, Texas has gotten its stuff together a little bit. Well, George is not as ripe for the picking as it once was, even though they still get some Georgia guys. Well, I don't know that you know, Brian Kelly's there. I don't know that you're going to do much in Louisiana right now. Well, they've dipped into California, but now it's Lincoln Riley at, at USC. Where where do you go? Where do you put resources? Arizona seems smart. 18 guys in this class. There are seven outside the Big Ten footprint. So there are two from Florida, two from Texas, one from Tennessee, one from Arizona, and one from Georgia. Jeremiah Smith is from Florida. And Jordan Lyle is from Florida. And that's kind of like you go get skill guys in Florida. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. where a guy's from. If Brian Hartline's recruiting him, 
He's going to go get him. And Jordan Lyle is a running back from Florida. Tony Alford's been in there. And Tony Alford has James Peoples out of Texas. Tony Alford's been in Texas. I don't know if you're familiar with J.K. Dobbins, but that's not unusual for Ohio State to maybe go get a running back there. Air Nolan from Georgia. Okay, you're going to go. Like that's Dylan Rayola's going to Georgia. So it opens a little bit of that backyard there, but that's a good get. But I, I, I this is, if you're going to be somewhere, Stephen, you want to get a guy or two every cycle. They, they clearly, and, and we know this is how they operate. Kenny Dillingham is at, Arizona State now. He just went there from Oregon. He's a young coach on the rise, super young. He's like 32 or 33. New head coach. Okay, we don't know. Maybe Arizona State's going to get going. Jed Fish, the former Michigan receivers coach, is the head coach at Arizona. They just got a five-star that they kept an edge guy in their backyard from Arizona. Mm -hmm. But they're not. I mean, Arizona, people were excited about Jed Fish last year, and then Arizona was terrible. So that's still a place, right? That that's still a place that it's not the the backyard schools there are not on Ohio State's level, whereas in Georgia, in Louisiana, maybe in Texas, Texas is at least a preseason playoff candidate. Now in Southern California again, the backyard schools are near or close, you know, are close to Ohio State's level. I just I this it's a nice reminder from a strategy standpoint of they've built up some relationships there. They almost got B. John Robinson out of mm-hmm. Arizona, right? Like they've, they've built some stuff in Arizona and it allows them. And I would imagine this, how this, this is how this works, Steven. Okay. This guy's not as highly rated as, as maybe some other cornerbacks on the board, but you have some roots there and the people that, you know, the high school coaches that, you know, in Arizona are like, this guy's a player, man. Like you, you're maybe in earlier on some guys that a school that doesn't have roots in Arizona wouldn't have wouldn't have been on Miles Lockhart as early. And so, you know, this is appropriate for Ohio State, for Arizona to be in Ohio State backyard. That's why they love going to the Fiesta Bowl. There's a bunch of Ohio State fans out there. They've never shied away from repeat Fiesta Bowl appearances because Ohio State does feel like it has some roots there. And if that means Lathan Ransom, Jack Miller, Denzel Burke, Miles Lockhart, you're in on Bijan. Good. Good for them having an area when some of the other previous areas, frankly, are closing up a little bit. Devin Brown, originally from Arizona as well. You throw him in there. Um, I'm wondering what the big payoff is. Because usually when you see in recruiting a bunch of these lower rated guys, you know, when you're building up a, a rapport out in an area, at some point you see like a major payoff from it. In Texas, you saw the major payoff in 2017. Florida, Florida, that's a major payoff every year because they've just got so many skilled guys. California, uh, Wyatt Davis, uh, CJ Stroud, Court Wood, like you started to see it. It would have been Dylan Rayola, who was living in Texas and moved to Arizona and then, tra- then transferred schools in Arizona and now he lives in Georgia. But I don't really know where to place that kid and what school, what state he's in. But plus, he's not in the class anymore. But you brought up Elijah Rushing, how he's committed to, to Arizona as number 27 player and the number three edge rusher in the country. What if the next Elijah Rushing, whatever position that is, is now at Ohio State? And you look, you can look back on this trail of, you know, relationship building that was built by the, this coaching staff that made that even possible. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You build it because you don't know when the payoff's mm-hmm. coming, but you want to be positioned for it. I'm just looking at the 247 sports rankings of the players in Arizona in the class of 2025. There's an offensive tackle. 
who's out there. Yeah, no, that's not a bad idea. Always keep your eye on some offensive Could tackle guys. There's a corner. Isn't uh, Cigaro High School, isn't that where Denzel's from? It is where Denzel and Keon Keeley is from. As a matter of fact, okay. rushing is from the same high school, I believe, as Lathan Ransom and Bijan. Oh, for real? Okay, this there's a Dejon Hinton kid who's a corner in the class of 2025. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it's one of those things. This is, keep your eye on Arizona for Ohio State. They've made a decision. That's really, that you bring up Dylan Rayola there, that definitely is part of that, right? It's mm-hmm. like, man, how did they get in on Dylan Rayola? It's like, well, they've been dancing in that area for a couple years now. And so Dylan Rayola was maybe more of a, of a backyard Ohio State guy than I maybe realized at the time, if we look at the, according to the 247 composite ratings, best players in Arizona, as we said, Elijah Rushing is a five-star edge guy who just committed to Arizona. The number two and three players in this class, in the class of 2024 in Arizona, are committed to Texas. Number four is Oklahoma. Number five is Old Miss. Number six is Oregon. Number seven is uncommitted, but is projected to Utah. And then Miles Lockhart is number eight. So you just want to stay in the mix. You don't want to take guys that you don't think can play for you to do that, but you want to be, you have to be in some areas. You can always go in and do a one-time thing. We just have Mm -hmm. a kid. We zero in on him. It doesn't matter if we have relationships. It doesn't matter if his grandparents went to Ohio State. We like him. We're going to get him to like us. Let's go do that. But you also have to have some roots. So they have some roots in Arizona, and Miles Lockhart is part of that. And I know you 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 guys have talked about this before. Just as it feels like the cornerback recruiting is back on its feet, right? It was a worry for a long time. And it feels like here we are in year two of Tim Walton and with the development and with his NFL uh, success and with his status as a, as an Ohio state alum, it feels like Tim Walton has established something here in the corner recruiting. And once upon a time that was you and I just did the threats pod, you know, Lack of cornerback recruiting once upon a time was one of the things that Ohio State fans were worried about the most. Are we? Are, should they be done being worried about that? About that, Stephen? I, I think so, um, especially if they get Aaron Scott here at the end of the month. But, I mean, Jermaine Matthews, Calvin Simpson-Hunt, Bryce West, Miles Lockhart, potentially Aaron Scott, and potentially another guy. That's, he's done – from a recruiting standpoint, Tim Walton has lived up to the billing. The next stage of that is – what does the development in the on-field product look like once you get him in here? Okay. Miles Lockhart is in. When we come back, we will talk about our first topic from the tech subscribers. It's, would you rather have Ohio State win the national championship this year or next? We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Stephen Means, good question from our tech subscribers. Got about five or six of them here. From the 470, if you could have only one, would you rather have the Buckeyes be the team to win the first four-team playoff and the last four-team playoff? So let's establish this. Ohio State was the first national champion in the four-team playoff era. That's what 2014 was. It was a new thing, and Ohio State, as the four seed, won it the first time. So we're playing off of that. This is Troy in Atlanta, and he's playing off of that. Would you rather have Ohio State win the first four-team and the last four-team playoff this year, or would you rather have them be the team that won the first four-team and the first 12-team playoff next year? So the first four-team is done. They won it. So, Stephen, what would you rather do, like wrap it up? Hey, I want the Ohio State title Mm -hmm. this year to bookend it. It's an era. It's a 10-year era of a four-team playoff. Ohio State won the first. They won the last. Cool. Or would you rather have them win the first four-team and then next year win the first 12-team playoff? I will say I can remember in 2013 as we were finishing the previous iteration, the last two-team playoff in 2013, I thought a lot and wrote a lot before we had a podcast about the idea of could Ohio State win the last BCS title in 2013 and the first 14 playoff in 2014, because in 2013, as they had not yet lost a regular season game, as Urban Meyer went 24-0 in the regular season in 2012 and 2013, and you were looking ahead and it's like, well, they seem pretty good right now and they are going to have a lot back. And then Michigan State happened in the Big Ten Championship game, and they lost the chance to do it in 2013. And I can remember thinking back then, that would be cool. I wasn't either-oring it then. I was bothing it. But we'll either-or this. And by the way, nobody's picky about national titles. I'm sure there are people out there being like, what? We're just like, can we just get, what? You, what who cares? But one. if you do care, <laughs> if, 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 if the football god said you're getting one, you can pick when you want it. What would you pick, Steven? I would pick the last 14 playoff one. One, because it just feels poetic that you start with Ohio State, you end with Ohio State. Especially, it would be almost be like a book with a very pretty um, wrapping and covering. But then you open it up and it's just war and, and desolate and all this crazy stuff in it. But also, I think it would, I think it would pretty much change the, the how you would rank the the college football programs during the 14 playoff era because right now they're they're clearly fourth right now because Alabama's third with three championships Clemson and Georgia both have two Georgia being because of what they've done the last two years Clemson because they basically stole Ohio's spot in some of those because Ohio State couldn't get his act together and then Ohio State's got one and then LSU's got the one you know blip year where they just caught hot fire but the other years they were they basically stunk. So you can't even throw them into this conversation. Ohio State could go from fourth to second, I think, in the playoff rankings. If they're tied with two other teams with two national championships while also having six playoff appearances, which will be tied with Clemson. 
for for second as well. I I think the quality of the program from start of the playoff era to the end of the playoff era would, I think, outweigh Clemson's just because Clemson's kind of fell off a cliff the last two years in a way that Ohio State has never fallen off a cliff. They've constantly been right there in the mix, whether they've got into it or not. So I think I don't. it wouldn't drastically change people's opinions, but it would change the – rank the the college football programs during the four-team playoff. Alabama won, Ohio State two, while Clemson and Georgia fight for three. I'll tell you what. I, I had my answer ready, and I thought my answer was pretty definitive. That's a really good case. The idea of when we look at it collectively – we're going to look at it and you could be the second best program in an era to a modern dynasty coached by mm-hmm. the best college football coach of all time. And that all of a sudden it feels like right in the moment, it felt like, well, they weren't quite Clemson consistently. And then the moment it feels like, well, here comes the Georgia train. But then you would look back. And as you said, one team has three titles, three team have two titles, but Ohio States is more, spread out than Clemson and Georgia, which then in, in history becomes an advantage that you mm-hmm. didn't fall off a cliff. You weren't a mini era. You were consistent the whole time. And by the way, you got two titles. That's a very compelling case. I picked the 12 team playoff because I do think the idea of, Hey, you started a new thing. We want it. Then you started another new thing. We want it then. And Ohio state helped define what the four-team playoff was because they got in as a four seed and they beat the one seed and then they won the national title and everybody said this never could have happened before, but it felt deserving. As much as TCU and Baylor easily could have been in that fourth spot, Ohio State got the fourth spot. Ohio State certainly deserved to be in the conversation for the fourth spot. Maybe you think TCU or Baylor should have gotten it, but Ohio State was at least in the mix. And then once they got it, they just showed they deserved it. They showed they were worthy of it at the very least. They didn't go in and lay an egg as the four seed. And if you think about, Stephen, the way some of the other semifinals have gone in the four-team playoff since then, if we were talking about a four seed that was a Michigan State or a Washington or a 2016 Ohio State, where you're going as a four seed and you lay an egg in a terribly boring semifinal, and people might have been like, why are we doing this? What is the the Mm -hmm. four seed? Oh, great. We expanded to four. Cool. The four seed stinks. And instead, they gave immediate juice to the four-team playoff. I think the 12-team playoff is going to be awesome. And the first champ will help define it. So if you win that, if you're the one seed or the two seed and you have a bye and then you have home a home game, or well, I guess you wouldn't have a home game. You'd have a bye and then you'd get off and, okay, now we're playing a quarterfinal, now we're playing a semifinal. And you do it as a top seed and it's like, hey, Still the one or two seed one, but what a road. What three awesome games they played. I can't believe Ohio State has a national title, and their road to the national title was beating Florida State, Georgia, and Texas. Oh, my gosh. We'll never forget it. I just think the 12-team playoff is going to be awesome. And if you get it by not being the Big Ten champ, by maybe losing to Michigan, you're a nine seed. Now you've got to win four games. Maybe you're even on the road in the first round, and you do it that. Now you've established something. Holy moly, the nine seed can win the playoff. And I think either of those is super cool because I do think you you help establish something. And I just think, and we've talked about this on the College Football Survivor Show, Stephen, I just don't think college football fans yet have a handle. I don't think any of us have a handle 
on how great the actual gameplay of the 12-team playoff is going to be. Because, yeah, there's going to be a couple stinkers, but there's going to be some awesome games in the first round. And there's going to be some quarterfinals that will knock your socks off. And for Ohio State to be at the very center of that, just like it's, Shahan and I on the Survivor Show were trying to, like, what should we name the 12-team playoff? Because just like you're, you have March Madness, it feels like college basketball takes over the month of March. College football is going to take over the month of December. Like, the NFL is going to be petering out. There'll be a little bit of a playoff. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's going to be, like, week week 18 NFL play, games that don't matter at all and stuff. While the college football playoff is at its peak, it's going to be unbelievable. And so I think I would take that because I would want my team at the center of the brand new thing. And, and I want them helping to reshape how people think about the college football postseason. I, I see where you're coming from. I think it would depend on how they win it. Because even with Ohio State winning the initial playoff, that doesn't hit the same if they don't lose to Virginia Tech first and have to basically, you know, backdoor yep. their way into it. As a, that's what made it the thing is like, see, the four, the fourth best team in college football can win a national title and she deserves a spot at it. If they're the one seed doing that, like if Braxton Miller never gets hurt, so they just run through the season because they never have that JT Bears got to figure it out moment. Ohio State's just a good football team. In fact, we look at it more like, man, Ohio State probably dropped the ball here because they probably could have won the national championship the year before that too, and they just kind of fell off a cliff in that Big Ten championship game. So so it's how do you do it? If Ohio State has the 21 season where it lost to Oregon early, fought their way back into the conversation just to lose to Michigan at the end of the year or lose to like 2017 where you lose to um, – Oklahoma early and then you lose to Iowa later on in the season, then that makes your point that there are some two lost teams out there where you lost some games. It's like, yeah, but do we really think that this team couldn't compete for a national title? If you put them on that stage, 18, 15, you'd be waving those flags then. But if Ohio state, if Kyle McCord comes out here and he's awesome and Ohio state, she's awesome. Then you're just the best team in college football who would have not won a national championship in any era at that point. So Yours requires Ohio State for Ohio State to not be as good as we think they might be for the first couple of weeks, and they lose to Notre Dame and they lose to Michigan or Penn State. I I do wonder for top programs what it will be like for the fan bases if you lose early or you don't make the playoff, and it feels like it's sort of like when Ohio State doesn't make the NCAA tournament. And it's mm-hmm. like, hey, March Madness is awesome, but wow, this is weird watching the whole sport have a party and we're not invited. Mm-hmm. So if you're Ohio State and you're the 10 seed and you lose to the 7 seed in round one, and then it's like, oh, cool, there's like another month of this, of awesome <laughs> high-level games that my team's not a part of. Oh, do I love the 12-team playoff or not? Or like, hey, well, what do you know? We were the 13th seed. We didn't even get in. Oh, Great. Oh, so Georgia's going to play LSU, and then if the winner of that's going to play Tennessee, and then the winner of that's going to play Alabama for the national title, cool. Right? You know, like I think it's going to be. Yeah. I think if you're in it, it's going to be unbelievable. I I do wonder because right now it's like, well, if you're not in the playoff, you're in a still. If you're Ohio State, you're in a still cool bowl game around the same time. So it's like mm-hmm. you're the undercard of the playoff, but you're not absent. And now you're going to be absent 
mm-hmm. you're really the 12 teams in it are going to be it's going to be like a red carpet and then i just wonder if everybody else cuz if you're a mediocre if you're a, if you're a tier 2 or tier 3 or tier 6 program you just don't have any playoff expectations, so it doesn't matter that you're not in the playoff. You, you just don't think that way. You'll still go to your bowl just like you always did. But if you're Ohio State, the years when you somehow don't make it or you you are in the first round and you lose, it may be the most empty December and January you've ever experienced in your life because you no longer are like, well, at least we're – you know. Ohio State's played in a major bowl like every year since, you know, other than the Gator Bowl in 2011, like every year since 2004. They're in a BCS or New Year's Six Bowl. So it's like the even that, like, okay, hey, they didn't make the playoff in, in um, 2021. It was like, oh, you know, it's like, what happened? Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba had 700 receiving yards in the Rose Bowl, and we got introduced yep. to Marvin Harrison Jr., and it was like, wow. That didn't matter, but it was still super fun. Now you're not even going to have any fun because it's not like if you lose in the playoff, then you get to go to a bowl. It's like that was your bowl and you lost and it's over and it's early. So that will, I had never thought of that before. I just said that now that's going to be weird. Those, if you are a, a top tier program and you're not in, or you lose in the first round, it is going to be a long December. That's a counting crows song. Let me look up what that December lyric is. Long December. I'll I'll get it. Go ahead. What do you think? Excluding 2012 where they couldn't play in a bowl game because of sanctions. So whatever. Is the Gator Bowl the last time Ohio State played in the bowl game? That was before Christmas. Or not even played it. Was that the last time their season was over before Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And before that, it it was 04. Like the last time they had a normal season – it was the Alamo Bowl in 2004. Is... Like I have, I came on the beat in 05. I have never yeah. covered a normal season where they didn't go to a big time bowl at the end of it. Because even like oh, like 2017, they thought they were going to make the playoffs. They didn't make it. What happened? They went to the Cotton Bowl and they played Sam yeah. Darnold and USC. And like that's like low level for them. So that's gonna yeah. be interesting. I'm think that's gonna be interesting because that's a long time now for fans to have to wait. If you lose in the opening round or the second round in like like December fifteenth or something like that, but I'm also thinking the logistics part of this bowl practice matters. It's where you find out that Luke Whipler is making ways, and it's where you find out Carson Hensman's making ways because it's thirty days of just practice, so you don't have to give Marvin Harrison Jr. ninety million reps. You can rest them a little bit. You can have days where you just allow the second team and third team guys to take the lead on things. That's gone now. For when you're talking about building for the future, because the Big Ten championship game is going to be the week after, and then I would assume that maybe there's two weeks between the playoff game starting and conference championship week. You can't mess around, though. You can't be out there, hey – uh, Cardinal Tate, how about you take 40 reps at X today? No, we need Marvin Harrison Jr. to take those reps. Or, no, hey, you know, hey, Mylon Graham, you want to just spend this week messing around playing and so we, we can build towards the spring? No, there's no momentum for you, Mylon Graham. We need Brandon and his Cardinal Tate, Noel Rogers, Jaden Ballard, all down the list ready to play because they have to play a playoff game in two weeks. So I do wonder how that changes development in college football in a world where already if you're a young guy, you don't get a lot of reps because you're trying to get your starters ready. 
are the days of us going to bowl sites and being like, hey, what young guys are are mm. really catching your eye in practice? And Day goes, none. Are you serious? <laughs> we, got, we got a bowl game to play. I don't have time to worry about whether or not freshman X is getting reps in practice. Yeah, I wonder if they almost – if there will be like a new – like January practice period where they'll say like, Hey, you can have like full practices, you know, instead of just doing mat drills in January Mm -hmm. and getting up at 6am and rolling around in the weight room, maybe they'd say you can have between, between the end of the the season and February 15th, you can have eight practices or something Mm -hmm. so that you can replicate that because, um, but anyway, uh, that is a kind of crow song. I was going to sing it a third time. I'm not going to sing it a third time. But anyway, it's going to be a weird thing. So it might be just that to be not involved in like the full go of like at least make the quarterfinals of a 12-team playoff, you really may miss it. But I do think you – historically, I think you make a really good point. You guys can talk about that amongst yourselves. All right, here's the second question. Which Ohio State player would you most and least want to fight in a boxing ring? This is from the 412. And of course, the actual answer is I would least want to fight all of them because they are football players and I am not. And Mm. they are young and strong and I am not. But Stephen, I did look. This is a rough count. How many Ohio State scholarship football players do you think weigh less than me? Um, I would say scholarship players, too. And it's the (laughs) kicker of the putter. Oh, no. No, I'm kind of up there. 23. Huh. 23. Because I'm over two bills. I shouldn't be, but I am. So. Yeah, but muscle also is weighs more than fat. So they might weigh less than you on a scale, but they're definitely heavier than you. Well, I mean, by actual, well, what does that mean? They weigh less than me on a scale, but they're heavier than me? Weight is weight, is it not? Is come- weight not weight? No, they're stronger than me. They have more muscle than me, but I just feel like theirs is more compact. It's like, well, yeah, you know, no, you're you're right. That's how weight works. Yeah, it's it's not. It's like when people ask the question of what weighs more, a thousand pounds of feathers or a thousand pounds of like steel or something. They're both a thousand pounds. Never mind. Yeah, no, I am a thousand pounds of feathers. That actually would be my (laughs) boxing nickname. Entering the ring. French vanilla, also known as a thousand pound of feathers. He's 0-19-1. So I wouldn't want to fight any of them. But I would have to at least take one of the 23 guys who weighs less than me. And so I feel like you could just take a kicker. But I I don't want to be unfair to kickers. Would everybody just Mm. take a kicker? Do I just want to fight Jaden Fielding? And I don't want to fight anybody, but box Jaden Fielding. I do feel like I'd have a little bit of an edge. He's six foot one seventy five. I'd probably weigh in at like I'd probably be like six one two oh five for that. Mm. So I might have I might have a little bit of a reach advantage there too. But I don't know if saying the kicker, that's what Kerry Combs would say. If you want to fight, I'll fight the kicker. Is it is it a kicker a disqualifying answer? No, he's on scholarship. As okay. coaches like to say they're on scholarship. <laughs> Also, please don't, if you know Jaden Fielding, please don't tell him that I said I would fight him because he will find out and then he will kick my butt. Uh, How uh, would you, are there any football players that you weigh more than, or are you a lean, mean fight machine and you're checking in the 160s? I mean, most of the players I weigh more than are probably the just incoming freshmen who haven't been through mixed program yet. Okay. So 
Yeah, they, I, I would probably start my list there because they have not been through a college football workout program, so they're still high school, mm. which means I have the – I'm now 10 years older, at least, than the freshmen, so I have grown man strength over them. I yeah. couldn't wait to say that when I was a kid, so maybe that's just how I win. I've got the grown man <laughs> strength that I've waited so long to have. Um, I would pick – I would go kicker over punter because they're punters from Australia – and he might just know some things I don't know. Oh, and I'm, yeah. I just don't want to take that chance. But yeah, I would pick as far as most likely an uh, incoming freshman who's been here for a month. Or I feel like we're picking on Jaden Fielding now, but Jaden Fielding. Yeah, I mean he knows it. I, I mean that's I, again he would still knock me out in the first round. But if we're, it's like, hey, would you rather fight? Uh, who you want to fight? You want to fight Jaden Fielding or you want to mm-hmm. fight Donovan Jackson? It's like I don't know. Is it an insult to say I'd pick Jaden Fielding? So least want to box i just think with his size and also i feel like this guy has like good control of his body and plays with some precision and i just feel like could really maybe be a really good boxer i would not want to box jt tuimolo wow he mm. he he's listed 64271 i just i i feel like just the way I feel like he could do some stuff, man. I would, I would not want to, and not just from like a like a boxing standpoint. Not like, yeah. a, hey, that this guy's got an, you know, he's gonna, he's an angry young. Not that. Just like, oh no, I bet he's got a good jab, and then he mm-hmm. set me up for a hook shot to the ribs and sent me to the hospital. I've got two, and they're in the line of that. There was a picture Ohio State put out of them going through summer workouts a couple of weeks ago. And um, they have one with Donovan Jackson in his arms. I think it was Donovan Jackson's arms featuring other Ohio State football players. I just don't want to be hit by that. Yeah, I don't. I just. I don't want that. I don't. I don't want that. I don't want that in my on my face. I don't want that on my. No, I don't want it. So he's number one. But I also started thinking he's also a big dude, and I might be able to elude him a little bit. So maybe just don't get too close to him to where one punch, I'm on the ground um, yelling at my trainer, throw the white flag, throw the white flag, or I'm going to end up like Apollo Creed. So I went with a guy like Josh Proctor, who's a little bit of the best of both Mm. worlds. Like he's super quick, but he's also very much put together. Yeah. Yeah, that would be tough. (laughs) No running from Josh Proctor. And and for people, in my previous job, when I worked in Wilmington, Delaware, I did cover some boxing and I liked boxing. Um, the great Bernard Hopkins, who is one of the great champions in, in recent boxing history, uh, was from Philadelphia, but he had a house in Delaware. And so when you work for the newspaper in Delaware, you claim anybody associated with mm-hmm. Delaware. So I did some Bernard Hopkins stories and that guy was legit. That guy was like, put together and also in, incredibly skilled. And then I covered a boxer who actually was from Delaware, whose name was Michael, no joke, Stewart, which what a great boxing nickname, no joke. Mm. And he actually got a title shot in one of the lower weights. He went and boxed a guy in England. I didn't get to go to England. I thought maybe I would, but I covered multiple uh, fights for him. And I was in like front rows um, right up against the ring at, at fights. I had, one fight, I had blood fly onto my notebook. I think I still have that notebook. It's like, look, there's human blood on my notebook. Sports are fun. 
And the thing I always said, and I would challenge any Buckeye Talk listener to do this, maybe I, I don't think people like boxing as much as they used to. It's certainly diminished as a sport. So it's three-minute rounds, right? For three minutes, just stand in your living room. And for three minutes, just walk in little tight circles and punch the air for three minutes. Time yourself. You're not hitting anything, and you're not being hit. And figure out how tired you are just mm -hmm. doing that. Just lifting your arms up for three minutes and moving your feet and extending air punches. It is for a normal person or a, an abnormal person who's out of shape like me. It is ridiculous, Stephen. And it's like, oh, now add in the fact that somebody's trying to dislodge my head from my neck while I'm doing that. The athleticism and training involved in being a boxer is out of this world. And so any anytime that anybody talks about boxing from this kind of perspective, I just know hanging out with no joke, man. Holy <laughs> moly. It is. And that was to just be that was to be kind of like, you know, so he never won a title. He didn't make that much money in it. And he just trained like 24 <laughs> 24 hours a day for the chance to get in a ring and have someone try to knock his head off. So um, it's a remarkable sport. Are you, do you enjoy boxing at all? Have you ever liked boxing or watched boxing? Um, I did at one point, I think Floyd ruined it just because mm. one, well, at the time there were no like really good heavyweight fires, but also he just won everything. And so there, it didn't, there, boxing is one of those sports that you need to have some type of adversity. And he never really had it. And I think it kind of turned people's interest off to it. Uh, I do agree with your point, though. I mean, you want to know how long something is with time? Do something active for that limit of time. And you find like a minute, do a plank for a minute. And you're going to you're going to look at 60 seconds a whole different way. Yeah. So anyway, uh, please don't make us box Ohio State football players. Okay. This is a question, Stephen, that we have been talking about a lot. It's from the 330. This is from Andrew. I had an idea of something you guys could work on if you're interested. You bring up the idea that coming soon, the NCAA will allow more position coaches. Could you expand on that? Maybe some of these questions you can help uh, build a pot around. We're going to build a, a rapid fire around it. Who for Ohio State are the current candidates to be added as coaches? What does each of these men add to the program or positions? I ask because you always say James Laurinaitis, obviously, but I know Knowles brought some friends with him that are current staff staffers. Also, how many assistants might Ohio State want? Would would they want want too many coaches per room make it crowded? Um, these are good questions about what it would actually look like, Stephen. So Andrew from the three three zero. We're not doing a whole pod, but we're going to do a, a good chunk of discussion around this. And actually, we'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, Stephen, this idea, it's something the NCAA has talked about. They've had committees about it. They have not yet passed the legislation to allow an, a, additional full-time coaches. The way it works mm-hmm. now, you have one head coach, you have 10 full-time assistants. Those 10 full-time assistants can participate in practice, be hands-on, on the field with players, and they can go out on the road and recruit. So programs like Ohio State, Alabama kind of pioneered it, but Ohio State certainly does it. Lots, all the big-time programs do this now. They have a bunch of other people that are employed on the football staff and have titles, but they aren't full-time coaches. And that means, A, they can't go on the road and recruit, and B, they're not supposed to be out there in practice with hands-on doing stuff. Now, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. And that's just whatever. We're not saying anything. I mean, just whatever. We're just saying whatever. So I looked at the Cleveland Browns just as a comparison. And in looking at the Browns coaching staff, they have full-time coaches. So like they're like main, like titled coaches. They have an offensive coordinator, an offensive line coach, a running backs coach, a receivers coach, and a tight ends coach. That's five offensive assistants. They have a defensive coordinator, a defensive line coach, a linebackers coach, a quarterbacks coach, and a safeties coach. That's five defensive coaches, and they have a special teams coach. So that's 11, like, fully titled, you're in charge of a group, assistants. That's one more than you're allowed in college. Ohio State, they have a special teams coach, so they only have four full-time defensive assistants. Some schools, if you split up the special teams, then you can go five and five. So that's already one more. Then the Browns have nine more assistant coaches Uh who have titles, but all of their titles are like the assistant tight ends coach, the assistant Uh quarterbacks coach. So they have five people on offense, three on defense, and one on special teams. So where Ohio State has 20, Ohio State has 10 assistant coaches, the Browns have 20. But Ohio State does have a bunch of people who have these other titles and who are very important in assisting with all kinds of different things. A lot of it in meetings, film watching, talking to players there, right? This is quality control coaches. These are graduate assistants. These are analysts. They have different kind of titles. And originally in college football, all those jobs were intended for people on the way up. They were almost like paid internships. Mm-hmm. You're a graduate assistant. You know what it means if you're a graduate assistant? It means you're in a graduate program at that school. And the rule is you can only be a graduate assistant for three years. Mm-hmm. But then they've created these other kind of titles where now, and this is where Nick Saban pioneered this, you have veterans, guys who were former head coaches, guys who were former coordinators who now come back and have an analyst title just to kind of hang around and maybe tread water in their careers for a couple years. Bill Davis did that for a year at Ohio State. Then when Luke Fickle left, he got a full-time assistant job. Some guys just do it with their friend and then they leave. and get, It's like, hey, I, I kind of got fired at a weird time and I couldn't get a full-time job. Let me come hang out. Joker Phillips, who we talked about in a previous pod, as was the guy who took over as Notre Dame's receivers coach when Urban Meyer left. Joker Phillips has been around. He's had a 30-year career as an assistant coach. He was a head coach somewhere. He made $35,000 a year as a kind of hang-around analyst for Ohio State one year with Urban. 
And then he left and got another full-time assistant job somewhere. So it's become that steep. So that exists. So when we say Ohio State has 10 assistants and the Browns have 20, Ohio State actually has more like 14 or 15 right now, mm-hmm. right? And James Laurinaitis at linebacker is one of them. And Mike Solen, am I saying his right name, his last name right, Stephen? Um, yeah, of the offensive on, line. On the offensive, yeah. on the offensive line is one of them. And Todd Fitch, who has been a longtime college assistant, who's friends with Ryan Day and helps out with the quarterbacks, is one of them. So I do think, Stephen, one of the things that would happen is that all those guys would just get like a bigger paycheck. Yeah, They would just have a fuller role. And I think that's part of why this makes a little bit of sense for college football to do this is because they've already found the loophole to employ these people. So just let them employ them. And then I don't know if college teams would get to 20 the way the Browns have 20, but I think they'd get to 13, 14, 15, 16 overnight and actually, Stephen, I'm not sure how much of a how much anybody would really notice it, except everybody doing those jobs would presumably be able to do every part of the job by the book, whereas right now they're supposedly limited in some of their activities. You know how there's sometimes on the free, the freeway you're in Ohio for the most part you're supposed to go 75 miles per hour. But we've all been on the freeway at times when the entire flow of traffic is going 85 miles per hour. And a cop's not pulling you over when everybody's like, that's the flow of traffic at that point. That's what this would be, essentially, is everybody just going the flow of traffic while a cop is radaring everybody and going, I'm not about to sneak in there and get that one dude going 85 miles per hour when literally everybody around them is going 85 miles per hour, too. The... What you kind of summed it up. This boils down to people would just get get bigger paychecks than they get right now. I don't think the flow of how the workday goes would change. It's just we wouldn't be pointing it out all the time when we see Keenan Bailey in the summer as a QC head QC working out with Lathan Ransom. In fact, Keenan Bailey, they wouldn't have had to try to find a way to keep him here for all these years. He'd have just been called the assistant wide receivers coach for years. That's just what he would have been. Uh, I think of a guy like Matt Guerrero, who is now the co-defensive coordinator at Indiana after, I think, spending like a week as an uh, on um, Tulsa staff with Kevin Wilson instead of following him. He went to Indiana. He'd probably still be here if there was a legitimate job because he came with Jim Knowles. Uh, Riley Jeffords, who is uh, down at FAU, I believe, now as a tight ends coach. I think he's, probably, at, he's at UAB. He's at UAB. UAB. Okay. He'd pr- still be here as the assistant running backs coach under Tony Offert. I don't, I agree. I don't think it gets to, to, to 20 because I think head coaches are still a little bit hands on with their position of knowledge and college in a way that they aren't really the same way in the NFL all the time. Like Brian Day would still probably be super hands on with the quarterbacks. Nick Saban would still be super hands on with the defensive backs and on down the list there. So I don't think that you need to get up to that level, but I just think you'd be able to benefit from it in terms of Jim Knowles. We don't have to play this game and act like he needs to get out there on the road to recruit. Go sit in the room and scheme. It would almost flip. Right now, Jim Knowles is the guy for the linebackers who can go out on the road while James Laurinaitis can only deal with them when they're on campus. It would be James Laurinaitis, get on a plane, see you in a couple weeks, while when they get on campus, that's when they get to interact with Jim Knowles. 
while you think of a guy like Larry Johnson, where maybe that would extend his career another five, 10 years if he didn't have to spend all that time getting on planes. Because he's at his best when these players get here and he gets to work with them on the field. So if you cut out a step of him having to travel to D.C. and Los Angeles and Florida and Georgia because he can just spend that energy developing, that just probably helps extend his career. So I'm thinking of it from more that perspective. The paychecks, yes, go up. But I think it just allows everybody to do the jobs they're already doing while also maybe taking some of the pressures off of the assistant coaches to be the end-all, be-all. So this becomes, I think, a legitimate conversation in a world where players are making money. This is an Mm -hmm. illegitimate conversation when players aren't allowed to make money. So in the previous iteration of this, it's like, hey, uh, we have a head coach who's making four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars a year. We have coordinators who are making over a million a year. Then we have another eight assistants. Could we add eight more assistants? Could we add more adults making money while the players who are putting their bodies and brains on the line make none? And it's like, no, you can't. So now that we have NIL, now that we have players making money, and I do think it's now more legit to say, okay, this is a grind. Every college football coach has two jobs in the way that NFL coaches don't. Because you have your coaching job and you have your recruiting job. And in the NFL, the coaches aren't in charge of player acquisition. So they don't have to worry about that. Yeah, you do some scouting, right? You have opinions before the draft. I'm like, hey, we watched some film. We like this guy, whatever. You don't have to go out and like convince the guy to come to your program, to come to your team. So a world where you could, and I don't know the specifics. I'm assuming, Stephen, if they expand how many assistant coaches you have, that just expands. Everybody can do everything. So now you have 10 people on the road. Well, I guess mm-hmm. 11 with the head coach, right? Yep. The people who can recruit now, everybody, I mean, like you, there probably would be unlimited people who could be on the road recruiting. So you're not going to be recruiting more players. So you would divvy it up more. So I mm-hmm. think it would lessen the recruiting burden on every assistant. Now, the thing that would be tough is like, Hey man, I'm an Ohio state. I'm a, I'm a receiver and Ohio state is interested in me. Oh, cool. Heartline's going to come see me. And then Heartline be like, no, I'm not coming. The assistant receiver's coach is coming. Like, yeah. So th- there would be a hierarchy. You'd have to be careful. I mean, but whatever. You'd still figure it out. But you would all, if you had 17 people on the road recruiting instead of 10, then that dials back everybody's load by 30%. And maybe those coaches can live more normal lives. Maybe they're not on a plane as much. Maybe they're not jamming in as much stuff. I think that would be valuable. If you're trying to develop players and you can just have more people helping them in practice, which I think is what coaches would argue, I guess I guess that's a good thing. All of it, I think, is theoretically good as long as players are making money. But you can't. This is the whole mm-hmm. problem of college sports is we have so much money. Let's pay more adults because the workforce is free. So that's still true because they're not paying for the workforce, but at least the workforce is getting paid. So why still, if they said, hey, what would you rather do? You can do one of two things. You can either have the schools directly pay the players, and that's going to be a chunk of money, or you can expand the coaching staffs, and then you're going to spend the money on that. I'd rather pay the players. But there's at least enough that I think we can get here. And then I do think – I so you could see, all right, James Laurinaitis, like names, James Laurinaitis, full-time coach immediately. Todd Fitch, full-time coach. James Laurinaitis with the linebackers becomes the linebackers coach. Jim Knowles becomes the defensive coordinator. That's it. Todd Fitch immediately becomes, I don't know what, 
I don't know if he and Corey Dennis are co-quarterback coaches. I don't know if Todd Fitch is now the passing game, like whatever, but he's got more of a title, right? So that happens immediately. Mike Solan on the offensive line immediately becomes officially the assistant offensive line coach with Justin Mm -hmm. Fry. That's instantaneous. All the consternation I have around Parker Fleming, like they, he's a special yeah. teams coach. Why don't they have more defensive assistants? I think they would hire another defensive assistant, and some schools already have this. But I think maybe Larry Johnson becomes like the defensive line coach, but then you have someone who's a defensive tackles coach. Or you have mm. someone – there's some schools that have – that coaches like outside linebackers and edge guys, or maybe you would have someone be the jack coach. I actually think they might have – make an outside hire just to add a body to the defensive coaching staff to make up for Parker. Everybody would then have a full-time special teams coach. Just like we said, the Browns, five big-time offensive assistants, five big-time defensive assistants, and a special teams coach. So that would no longer be a problem. Where like Nathan and I especially are like, what are you doing? How could the division of labor on this staff doesn't make any sense? You wouldn't have to think about dividing labor because there would be unlimited labor opportunities. So that would become a thing. I do think in the end, Stephen, you would promote some people, but I think it would probably feel like a place like Ohio State, they have 10 full-time assistants now. I think it would eventually feel like, oh, they have like 14 big-time assistant spots and five other helpers. You know what I mean? I don't know that it would feel like 10 assistants and 10 helpers, but it is – some of these guys, some of the older guys who were getting recycled and like treading water for a year, they got fired. They're still getting paid by the place that fired them so they can make mm-hmm. $35,000 a year and it's fine. But I do think some of the people on the way up, would it would help them a little bit that it's not a GA job. It's not a quality control job. They're working 100 hours a week and they're making two bucks an hour. That would be better for them. And just to reemphasize, I, and, and I just want to make this clear for people. It's about recruiting. It's about what you can do on the field. And I don't mean to always talk about it, but it just was enlightening. When I was in the offensive meeting room, there were like four people in there who were not full-time coaches. Tony Mm -hmm. Alford was in there. He's the full-time running back coach. Riley Jeffers was his right-hand man. He's not a full-time assistant. He's in the offensive game planning room. Keenan Bailey was not yet a full-time assistant. He's in the offensive game planning room. Tim Hinton used to be the tight ends coach here, got squeezed. Stuck around the program, is a staffer that does stuff. He's in the offensive game planning room. He's not a full-time assistant. Todd Fitch is not a full-time assistant. He helps with the quarterbacks. He's in the offensive game planning room. So those like four guys in that circumstance last year are already trusted and important enough to be in the meeting room deciding what plays they're going to run with Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and Justin Fry and Tony Alford and Brian Hartline and Corey Dennis last year. So to me, it's sort of like, well, I don't know. Like, they're all re- they're so valuable already. They're there. They're not out getting coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not talking as much as the full time assistants, but they're there. So can you give them a full time job? Like, can you give them a real? Like, can you make them a, a full time assistant? I'm okay with that, and I think it's better for everybody. So I think they'll get here because the players can now make money. Yeah, and I. Yeah, that's the key to all this. You make so much money, but you you don't know what to do with it. But nope, don't give it to the 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds who are making you all the money. That would be ridiculous. I think it would really help coordinators. Imagine if this existed this year, especially because we've already talked about Jim Noah. Some of that is his own style and how he does stuff. But Brian Hartline might be a first-time play caller. So 
I know how the wide receiver room works because I'm Steven and duh, that's the room. I know how it works. Devin Jordan is now his new Keenan Bailey and really has been his Keenan Bailey since Keenan was more with Kevin Wilson over the last year and a half and kind of floating everywhere else because this was always on the table. If somebody leaves, Keenan Bailey gets a a full-time job here, which is why they kept giving him these positions to keep him. So right now, how it works in the wide receiver room is Devin Jordan works with the young guys when they're learning the system, when they're trying to learn the first steps. So Carnell Tate, Noel Rogers, uh, Bryson Rogers, uh, uh, Brandon Ennis, Keon Grays and Kojo Antwi, they're probably spending more time with Devin Jordan than they are with Brian Hartline because, listen, there's almost only so many hours in a day. and You can't spend every waking moment with every member in your room because you're trying to get the best guys ready to play on Saturday. While Julian Fleming, Marvin Amaka, Xavier Johnson, and probably Jaden Ballard are probably with Brian Hartline, which is what made this last spring so valuable is because most of those guys weren't playing, the young guys now got to work with Hartline a lot more often. And then once you graduate to you're in the two deep, you might play on Saturday, then you move your way up. Can that change? And imagine if the, if they had no assistant coach uh, limits this year. So Brian Hartline had an extra 90 minutes a week to think about play calling during Indiana week on a Wednesday, because of, instead of him being so hyper-focused on being hands-on with the players, he's walking around, seeing other stuff getting intel because Devin Jordan, who's very good at this and is going to be very, very good at this. He can handle it because he's allowed to now that benefits Ohio state on Saturday while also not taking away from Brian Hartline still being the wide receiver coach that he is. These guys work a gazillion hours. I mean, it's, it's a rough life. They chose it. They're well compensated, but like the guys on the way up, weren't the full time (laughs) assistants aren't that well compensated. So, I mean, the, the thing that you would hope is, let's just say, I, I, and, and I don't know, if if they put in, if you have 10 full-time assistants putting in 100-hour weeks during the regular season, that's 1,000 person hours. And then if you now have 18 full-time assistants, I would hope that means you're now not putting 1,800 person hours into it. That's like, Hey, we just have like more people who can all work hundred hour weeks. Maybe you dial it back and while you're putting in 1300 person hours, but maybe everybody can work 85 hour weeks instead of hundred hour weeks. I doubt Mm -hmm. that's how it'll happen, but it's, it's a tough job. These people do have to work their way up. It's like a lot of businesses, unfortunately anymore, which is at the very top, you're repaid. You're paid ridiculous amounts. It's like, why? It's a game. What are we doing? Like, why is this? Why are people making this much money to be head coaches? But at the bottom, like anybody who's not in the top five percent of the profession, it feels like they're scraping by sometimes. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. can you give people better wages for all their work that really does matter? And if this is a way to do that, you have more coaches on the field with the players. You lessen the recruiting load. I think it's good that the NCAA is getting there. So I hope that helps a little bit. But it's it's not actually going to necessarily be a gigantic influx of new people in the building. It's just going to, you know, I think it would add 25% to the people that are in the building. But mm-hmm. it's going to allow the people who are already there to make a little more money, have a little more freedom in their jobs, and carry a little bit more of the load and take a little bit more of the burden off these assistants who are grinding every day. Okay. Player or program? 
this is goes back to the thing that we've talked about a lot, the thing that Urban Meyer once said, of like the first two years are on the program, the third year is on the player. This is a, a discussion from the 419 about like, and the development of a player as you're trying to work it out, like who holds the ultimate responsibility? Pod topic, is it the person or the program? What exactly is right about Cam Martinez, who was competing with Jihad Carter to be the nickel defensive back in this defense? What is right about Cam Martinez for this defense? What are the coaches looking to see and how much is he showing it? We hear about players who would be superstars if something clicked in their game. Of all of them, I don't understand the Cam Martinez on defense fascination. This guy was a powerhouse, dynamic offensive player. But after three years, I wonder if Ohio State is optimizing his chance to create generational wealth for his family. I differ to the coaches on his position, but what are we trying to do here? He's putting in the work and everyone makes mistakes, so I don't put this on him. This is on the program to put him in the right position, even if that means it's at a different program. Could you imagine telling your children on lunch break from the electric company that you were the best offensive player in the state but never got to show it in college? Devastating. Braxton Miller built a better life trying to play receiver than sitting the bench at quarterback. Rod Smith, so they're talking about in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Rod Smith, who was a quarterback, was a running back at Ohio State from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Rod Smith played for the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, for eight years because it was a mediocre running back that Urban didn't try to convert to tight end. If Cam doesn't find a spot, it's on the program. I do think this is an interesting discussion, Stephen, and I do believe in the idea, and Superman, Eric Glover Williams, is the guy that I've pointed to a lot over the years of sometimes you get caught in between. And I think the worst thing that can happen is uh, back and forth. I don't know, back and forth for a while there. You, th- you thought maybe Kate Stover would get caught there for initially. Maybe you thought Steel Chambers would get caught up there. In the end, Kate Stover found the right home for him. And I think he's going to have a chance to make money in the NFL. In the end, I think Steel Chambers at linebacker instead of running back found the right home for him. I don't know, but I think he's going to have a better shot at trying to make some money in the NFL at linebacker than he did at running back. I think programs are open to this. I think Cam Martinez is an interesting example. But let's go broad first, Stephen. Just like this idea. I'm one guy. I got one shot. Yes, I want to do what's best for the team. But also, I would like to maximize my abilities to give myself the best chance to succeed, because if I succeed, I might have a chance to make a couple million dollars. How do we view this when it comes to a college football program? I think whether or not a guy, you get developed to a point where a team can put you on the field, I think that's on the program. When you've got guys who never get into the too deep, because sometimes you just get into the too deep because you've been here for five years and they give you opportunity. If you never get to the point where you are seriously in too deep, whether you actually play or not, I think that's on the program. The program did something wrong. Anything past that, how good you are, whether you maximize yourself, I think that's on the individual player. Because it's not Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. It's A coach's job isn't to turn you into a superstar. It's to give you the tools and maybe you become a superstar with those tools, but it depends on what you do with them. And to the Cam Martinez, I'm glad we're using him because he's probably the perfect example of that. And there's a guy in the 2024 class right now, tied in Demarion Witten, who might end up having some of these same things because he's listed at 6'4", 215 on 247. He's not 6'4", 215. He's more like 6'2", 195, 200 pounds. And so that's going to be a long developmental process, getting him to be ready to play tight end. 
I think that Cameron Martinez was probably the best player in Michigan, but every player on this team can say they were the best player in their state for the most part. That's why they're here. So I don't know if maybe they, he is maximizing himself as a guy who spent most of his his career playing quarterback and came here to play defensive back. Maybe this is the best it gets for him. Or maybe it finally clicks and he hits that next level. But it's hard getting to that next level of being all Big Ten level and then getting to that next level of being all American level, then being top ten pick level and all pro. That's not easy to get to. So I don't want to automatically say that because Cameron Martinez hasn't turned out to be this thing that maybe we were a little too excited about him ever being in the first place is because the program didn't develop him the right way. There's a lot of variables there. There was a long learning curve along with the fact that he's had a few assistant coaches since he's been here. I do think, I think we all have to be cognizant of this. When a player, player gets one shot at this. I think this actually happens more in basketball sometimes. Sometimes you hear about like, uh, I think this happened with like Jared Sullinger a little bit. This happens with guys, big guys especially, who your your program might need you to be the under the basket guy because you're the biggest guy and that's what they need you to do. But you're like, listen, man, I'm, like, I'm not, not going to go against Shaq. Yeah in the NBA. So like, I want to be out yeah. there shooting three pointers and it's like, Oh, these big guys, they want to shoot three pointers. It's like, well, that's how I'm going to make money yeah. I'm, at the NBA level. I'm not big enough to be a banger. So I've got to be able to shoot. And sometimes it could be like, well, the team needs you to do what you need to do. And it's like, yeah, but I'm also developing myself for my job. So I don't think this is a situation with Cam Martinez where Cam Martinez is like, Hey, I should be I should have the ball in my hands offensively 20 times a game and you're making me play defense. I think like he's he's a high school quarterback. He's not a money-making quarterback. No, right? he's a he could have gone to the Mac and played quarterback. Yeah. Right? He could he could probably be a devastating quarterback in the Mac. And then as soon as he was trying to get to the NFL draft, they'd be moving him to slot receiver. Mm-hmm. Well, it worked for Julian Edelman, so maybe it would have worked for Cam Martinez. I don't know. He knew this, though. He knows he's not going to be a quarterback. Jalen Marshall was a high school quarterback, right? Well, you knew Jalen Marshall wasn't going to be a quarterback in college, and he wound up being developed as a receiver at Ohio State. He got a shot in the NFL, at least. Like, he probably went maybe a little early. Probably left a year early for his NFL draft hopes. But, I mean, I got why he did it. Anyway, I think a situation where a player says, you're using me wrong. I need to be doing something else. Move me. Use me differently. Move me, move me, move me. And the team says, no, we need you here, man. Sorry. Like, sorry. Like, we're not doing it. I, I think you can criticize a program for that. I don't know. I don't know that I am aware of a bunch of stories covering Ohio State, and I don't think it's happening here where that's what's happening, right? That Mm-hmm. They've had guys at time. They've had, you know, Billy Price started on the defensive side of the ball, then he moved to offense. Ted Ginn was on the defensive side of the ball for a practice or two, and then he moved to offense. Right? Reed Fragel was a tight end who moved to tackle, right? Like they they've moved guys around. And I do think, you know, Cade Stover, they really needed Cade Stover to play tight end. They really did. We've covered that a million times. But now that we see it in the way the NFL works right now, Cade Stover is more of an NFL tight end than he is an NFL linebacker. That's just the mm-hmm. reality of it. So I think that was a good move for him. And I think Ohio State knew that when they did it. For Cam Martinez, when you think about the skill required, 
to be an NFL receiver, the explosive dynamic playmaking and the size. And you think it's like, okay, if Cam Martinez was an Ohio State plan receiver, who would he be competing against? Well, he would have been competing against Jackson Smith and Jigba and a Mecca Buka for playing time. And it's like, okay, no offense to Cam Martinez. You're a dynamic, but come on, man. You're not that. You're not that. So, so he could go, Cam Martinez could have gone maybe even to Michigan State and tried to be a slot receiver. And maybe that would have been it. Maybe, maybe there is a Rondale Moore in there. But when he decides to come to Ohio State and Ohio State recruits him, there's all the time, lots of times. Denzel Burke was playing some offense in high school, a lot of offense in high school, mm-hmm. right? All the time, because mostly depending what high school you go to, if you don't go to a powerhouse high school, if you're the best player, they're putting you're you on offense. They're putting the ball in your hand all the time. Yep. That doesn't mean you're an offensive player. So I, if this is on the – is this a discussion about like, okay, Cam Martinez – He's a, I think we agree he's a talented football player. He hasn't made a gigantic impact at Ohio State yet. He's competing for a starting job right now. I think in the end, the real question is, is the program doing him wrong? I think the programs do owe things to players. It's not just, listen, it's not like sophomore year of high school. Hey, listen to your coach. Do what's best for the team. Come on, man. Like you got to look out for number one. Yes, the team matters, but you have to show the next level what you can do. I don't think Ohio State has a million examples that I can think of where they did a guy wrong, and I don't think in this situation they're doing Cam Martinez wrong by trying to develop him as a nickelback. To your quarterback point, you know who else was a quarterback in high school because he didn't really go to the biggest high school? Darren Lee. They turned him into a linebacker when he got here. He was a first-round pick. You think he was complaining that he wasn't playing quarterback? I think that this starts with – who is Cameron Martinez supposed to play over? Because that's the thing. Some, uh, it, it's almost like my least favorite conversation just in life is the overrated, underrated conversation because we love to talk about who's underrated, who's not getting the due that they're supposed to get. Well, there's somebody underrated. That means there has to be somebody overrated. If you think this person should be in, this person needs to probably come out then as well. You can't just have one or the other. So whether it's Cameron Martinez, G. Scott, who has changed positions here or anybody else on this, on this roster. Cause I don't want to make this just about those two, but tell me who they should be playing instead of who is playing right now. What I do see at Ohio state is what, what I think college coaches owe you. They owe you honesty and transparency, whether it's during the recruiting process or then when you get on campus, they recruited steel chambers as a linebacker first. They told him that that was probably his best position. He wanted to play running back. Okay. We'll let you try it out. He spent two years trying it out, and then the game told him. The game is going to tell you where you're supposed to be. The game made it very clear Still Chambers was supposed to be a, line, be a linebacker. Cade Stover had to come to that realization himself because if they kept pushing him to do it, he was just going to keep running back the linebacker. And we even kind of saw when he finally let it go because he explained to us from an NFL perspective why this was better for him. He said, you don't see a bunch of six five linebackers running around like you did in the 80s. Now, linebacker still always has my heart, but that's not log- – logically, that's not where I should be putting my time into because that's not what's going to get me to the next level. When he wasn't having that as a conversation, you were never going to get him to completely buy in. Once he did, you got the beginning of last season. Cam Martinez has been an offensive player for a long time, so there was probably going to be a buy-in period there. But also, I don't know, like – is Cameron Martinez not playing over the last two years the difference between Ohio State having an All-American defensive back and not having one the way they have? 
I don't know if that's true either. I think the bigger thing in the end is players having – this is why the transfer portal is good. It's like if you – you have to get on the field. Like to have a chance at the NFL, you have to get on yeah. the field. So if you feel like you need to leave to get on the field because you can't beat out the guy ahead of you at your school or if you really feel like I'm playing the wrong position, right, and I'm going to go somewhere – I think the school has to be honest with you, but you also have to be honest with yourself of like, if, if someone like Cam Martinez decided that I don't think he's going to, that like, actually, I think my better shots on the offensive side of the ball, I should be returning kicks and I should be like a, a slot receiver, third down running back. And I'm going to try to be like a fifth round pick and make a team that way in the NFL. And I'm going to leave Ohio state and go be the offensive player of the year in the Mac to try to do that. That's just not going to happen at Ohio state. You can't, so this discussion about like Cam Martinez is a dy- dynamic high school player. And no matter how dynamic he was with the ball in his hands in high school, he's not Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka, Buka, Julian Fleming, mm-hmm. or Trevion Henderson. He's not. Now, at a lot of other places, he maybe would be the best offense, the most talented offensive player on the roster. That's not the situation at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And I think Ohio State knows that. And if it's like, hey, I want to come there. It's like, okay, well, if you come here, this happens all the time. You hear these stories. They only offered me on defense. And I wanted to play offense. So then maybe you go to a a step down at the school to play on the side of the ball you want to do. Just when it comes to this stuff, I think think it's an interesting programmer player discussion. The thing that bothers me the most is constantly moving a guy who can never settle in. And that's where you get worried. But I think it's been good for Kim Martinez that he hasn't been all over the place. That he's kind of been what he's been since he got here. He's been maybe at some kind of different safety spots and didn't wasn't he one of the guys who was playing a little bit of corner, outside corner in practice yeah, last but, year when they were short on guys? But they've kind of asked him to do generally the same kind of thing since he got here, which I think maximizes your opportunity to get good at it and get the attention of the NFL. Yeah, they gave him the option he can play receiver, he can play defensive back when he first got here. He picked defensive back, and he's been there. Now, I mean, you move guys around defensive back based off need. Like I think he was playing free safety one game because they were just light on free safeties. It was Bryson Shaw and Dust. And then, yes, they was having him outside corner. But I don't think it was because they wanted him long-term and outside corner. They were trying to develop the coverage skill so he could play that slot, that nickel safety position. So when when you're saying guys that you move around, I mean, obviously the poster child for this is Demario McCall, where yeah. depending on the month, they would tell us he was in the wide receiver room. And then the next month, he's number two on the running back depth chart. And it's like and some of that is just he was a player that, was after his time at Ohio State and how they used that H position, but that's what you're talking about. Those guys were smells like every other month they're in a different position, so they never get to lock in on one thing and just focus on it. Okay, I hope that helps. I, I We always want to be aware of it because, again, I think in every situation like this, you have to err on the side of the player because the program can recover, the player can't. It's easier for a program that has 85 scholarships on 115 guys and another recruiting class coming in and an unlimited options to the transfer portal. If something goes wrong with a guy at a spot, you could always replace it. When it's you, it's you. So you, the edge, our sympathies, I think you as a fan, I think us in the media, you, you have to make sure that the player's not getting screwed, right? Not to, like mm-hmm. that's that they're not being done wrong. And I don't, you know, would Demario McCall have been an NFL player? I don't know. Probably not. But I don't think Ohio State did him any favors. Now, Mary, maybe Demario, I don't know. Didn't He stuck around. He chose to stick around for a sixth year. Like, yeah. I think if he felt like he was not being treated fairly, he would have left. 
And so I think there's some evidence there of like, well, I mean, do you have to defend a guy who doesn't need defended? But I think you're right, Steve. That's a good example of like, just don't do that to a guy. Give a guy a shot. All right, last one. This is about stats. Interesting thought I had listening to the sack pod. This is from the 480. Are season stats about to become irrelevant to compare historically? Thinking about a 12-team playoff, it is reasonable to play 12 season games in a Big Ten championship and potential four playoff games. Putting together 17 games of stats compared to historical performances of the 12 to 14 game season won't even matter. And the record books are about to be rewritten. It's almost like comparing NFL stats of Patrick Mahomes and Dan Marino or the NBA before the three-point line. The way the game is played plus more games makes it something you can't compare unless you're going for hot takes. How do you see this working from a journalist's point of view going forward in how we measure individual performance success? So I was just looking for an example to illustrate this a little bit, Stephen, and I went to the rushing record book for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. The single season rushing record for Ohio State, uh, as of 1970, John Brockington broke that record. He rushed for 1,142 yards in 1970, and he did it in 10 games. Okay, so mm-hmm. he averaged 114 rushing yards per season. Archie Griffin broke that record. Now, Archie rushed for 1,695 in 12 games in 1974. So he actually averaged more yards per game and and would have broken it even in uh, a 10-game season. So, Mm -hmm. like, that was a really good year. But when Archie broke it, he had two more games than John Brockington. Okay? Then Keith Byers breaks... Archie Griffin's record. In 1984, Keith Byers runs for 1,764 yards in 13 games. He plays one more game than Archie, but his yards per game is lower than Archie's. But he's the new single-season rushing record at Ohio State. Goes from 12 games to 13. Then that record is broken in 1995 by Eddie George, who's also playing 13 games. All right, so Eddie runs in the Heisman season for 1,927 It's almost 200 yards more than Keith Byers, but the same number of games. Mm -hmm. Then Ezekiel Elliott doesn't quite get even Ezekiel Elliott in 14 plays 15 games and doesn't quite get to Eddie. But then JK Dobbins breaks Eddie George's record in a 14 game season in 2019. He is the single season rushing record at Ohio state with 2003 yards. Eddie George is a monster. He wins the Heisman. He is not Ohio state's single season rushing leader, even though he averaged 5.1 yards per game more than J.K. Dobbins. But J.K. Dobbins actually had fewer carries than Eddie George. So J.K. Dobbins averaged 6.7 yards per carry and Eddie George averaged 5.9. So Eddie George played one fewer game, but he had more carries because they ran the ball more back then. And Mm -hmm. J.K. Dobbins was more of a passing offense. So it's like, I don't know. Like what? So I don't think... We as journalists and and the media help sets the tone on this kind of stuff for fans because fans aren't in record books because fans should do it for fun and we do it for our job. I don't think it affects Archie Griffin's legacy that he is now his single season is the eighth. No, he has the sixth best single season rushing mark in Ohio State history. It's Dobbins, George, Zeke, Zeke, Byers, Archie. I don't think that changes who Archie Griffin is. But I think we can say, hey, J.K. Dobbins has a single season record, and that's valid. But I don't think it changes who Eddie George is. I don't think people be like, well, what happened? Did Eddie George, was his Heisman fake? So 
yes, we are going to get to a world where somebody's going to play 17 games. Maybe it won't happen the first year, but somebody who plays in the first round of the playoff, you're going to like lose the conference championship game, have to play in the first round of the playoff, and then wind up playing four playoff games, and you're going to play 17 games. And your your stats are going to be through the roof. There are some stats, Stephen, in some pro sports where I feel like some some baseball, especially baseball, is the most stats driven sport, which is why the steroids era was such a huge deal for yeah. people because it's like, hey, these guys are pumping up on steroids and they're breaking records. I don't know that college football is an incredibly historically stats driven sport. I think you are concerned about how good you are against the competition that year. Mm-hmm. I think we talk a lot about were you an All-American, which is against your peers? Were you in the top 10 of the Heisman voting? Were you a Heisman finalist? Did you win a Heisman? Like those kind of things, Stephen. So I think this is an example of if you said to the average Ohio State fan, hey, Archie Griffin's best season, where do you think it is? I don't know if they'd say, I don't know, is it sixth? Because he's Archie. He's Archie, man. Now, Archie is still the all-time leader because he played in an era where he got here just as freshmen were eligible. He played four years. Now all the best guys don't stick around for a fourth season mm-hmm. as a starter. So he's a, a more than a 1,000 yards ahead of J.K. Dobbins in career rushing record. And maybe there will be a year where a three-year running back at Ohio State that goes pro, maybe James Peoples will do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll beat Archie Griffin's record because he plays – 15 games, 17 games, and 14 games in a three-year career breaks the record and goes. But I don't think it will be like outlandish. I don't think it will be I don't think it'll be a black mark on the expansion of the college football season. Because I think in the end we'll talk about we talk a lot about the three-time All-Americans in Ohio State history. Hey, James Laurinaitis was one. Hey, Richard Griffin was one. Hey, Chuck Harley was one. Like those kind of things. Those kind of things matter, Stephen. I don't think it's going to matter that much. How much do you think it's going to matter? That the st- They're clearly going to change, and we're going to have a lot of modern guys at the top of the record books, but I'm not sure it matters. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with that. Because on defense, I mean, there's some defensive records that are never – is anybody ever going to have as many tackles as Tom Cousineau had in a single season when he had 211? Right. You know, so that, that it, it goes both ways. It's so era driven and how they calculate the offense has become so different than when Archie, really what you can do is take Archie Griffin's season and say, now what if you took Archie Griffin and put him in this era? How many more, what would that look like? It would probably look like the JK Dobbins season because he's still that level of talent. He's just playing in a more sophisticated offense where they spread things out more. And a lot of that, just because of how Ohio State's run game often is with inside-outside zone, it's pick a hole, make a cut, go to the end zone. It's simple, but it works. When you're J.K. Dobbins, you get 2,000 yards. So the single-season records will just be about who just happened to be really dope in a year where they emphasize the thing you do to the point that you just got to rack up numbers. while. Ohio State's about to have – well, that might change. C.J. Stroud was a better quarterback than J.T. Barrett. Justin Fields was a better quarterback than J.T. Barrett. Dwayne Haskins was a better thrower than J.T. Barrett. Who has the most career touchdown passes? J.T. Barrett because he played longer here. Now, maybe that might change here because all it takes is a couple 40-bomb seasons, maybe even 50 or 60-touchdown season, seasons because you're playing 17 games, and that might change. But – 
career – I've always looked at in college sports, career records are about who just stuck around longer, while season records are about who was just awesome for a season, and then game records are about who just went nutty for 60 minutes. I think we're conditioned to this in college sports that, as you said, the game has changed so much over the years that we know it's gone from a rushing sport to a passing sport. You know, that mm-hmm. we, we know these things that have happened. And so it's like, yes, Dwayne Haskins has the record for passing yards in a season for Ohio State, right? Mm-hmm. But does that mean that anybody thinks that Dwayne Haskins is the greatest quarterback in Ohio state history? It's like he threw for more yards in a season than Rex Kern. Well, I don't know who's a more, you know, who's a greater Buckeye. No offense to Dwayne Haskins. I mean, I think you take Rex Kern. He threw for more yards in a season than Troy Smith. Okay. Well, I don't take Troy. So I think we're able in college sports to compare guys to their eras, to compare guys to their peers. And that's what matters the most. So I think it will be congratulations to the Mm -hmm. guys in a 15 or 16 or 17 game season who break a receiving record, who break a rushing record, who break a passing record, who break a sacks record, that kind of thing. And I do think stats matter. Stats are very valuable, but I was a baseball fan as a kid growing up. And there was a time I would read the baseball encyclopedia from, I would just like, I had a baseball. This is like, this is, there are people listening to this who are my age who were in their 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, who were like, I know exactly what you're talking about. The baseball encyclopedia was like 2,000 pages. It was a gigantically huge book. I got it for my birthday one year. It was on our bookshelf in our den. And sometimes I would just go pull it out. And there was a time when I could have named the top 20 all-time home run leaders in baseball off the top of my head. Cause like, I just knew that you just knew the numbers. You knew Hank Aaron was seven fifty five. You knew Babe Ruth was seven fourteen. I think I knew that Mike Schmidt was five twelve. I think. And you know, Willie Mays was six sixty. Like I just knew that I couldn't name any, I don't know. I don't know it right now at all. I don't know anything. I think Barry Bonds is number one, but I don't know it, but baseball is so stat driven and the, the game has remained enough the same over the years. There've yeah. been dead ball errors. There've been juice ball errors, but it's still similar enough. And especially like when it comes to home runs that Babe Ruth did this a hundred years ago and the record stood for so long, even though he was an anomaly, it wasn't like all the best guys, only the modern era guys were the best. So baseball, that was a strength of baseball, but I actually think that's dragged baseball down because people are then reluctant they don't want to reduce the regular season. It's like, well, what about the records? Or they don't want to shorten the games. Well, what about the record? It's like, why are you running your modern sport by whether it would be some fair to some guy from 1935? Because maybe now they're, you know, or some guy right now, he's a great player. All right, he might not break an all-time record because your 162-game regular season is way too long. It should be 148. It should be 140. There's no mm. doubt about that. But they're afraid to do it because of history. College football, like for the good of this sport, nobody's like, oh, no. Well, we can't have a 12-team playoff because what will that mean for, you know, Johnny Davis's rushing mark? Like, it's just <laughs> nobody thinks that way, which is correct. You can't limit the present because you think it's unfair to the past or you can't limit the present because you think it's unfair to the present when it's compared to the past. Who cares? 
Make your sport the best it can be right now, and then we'll figure out what records matter and what don't. Amen. I think the difference is, I think that's where baseball is in a weird spot, is the concept of how you play baseball, I don't know how you change that. A guy stands at the top of a mound, he throws a ball, a guy hits it or he doesn't. And depending on how good he, how strong he is and all this other stuff that I don't know that much about baseball, he might hit it out the park, he might not. But the concept of baseball, I don't know how you change it. While the concept with basketball has changed. I mean, there was a time when you wanted a bunch of seven-footers and you just gave them the ball and everybody watched them back people down and shoot hook shots. Now they stand at the top of the key, they set screens and watch people who are six foot, who are Doug's height shoot threes. You know, Magic Johnson was an anomaly and now, you know, if you don't have a six nine point guard, what are you doing, right? So the game has changed. And so that you're okay with how everything else changes around it because the way that Stephen Curry became a Hall of Famer isn't the same way Shaq is a Hall of Famer. It's the same thing in football. It used to be – we just did a whole draft where we were talking about – we drafted guys based off of what they reviewed at during a draft time, where if we'd have done that draft in 2001, we'd have taken a bunch of linebackers and running backs in the first round. But now we're taking a bunch of wide receivers, cornerbacks, Ed rushers, offensive tackles, and, and, and quarterbacks. It's just how the games has evolved. I don't know how you evolve baseball. And so for a younger generation that likes fast, cool, and highlight stuff, unless you bring the juice era back, you're not going to get a lot of fast, cool, and highlight stuff. So you've got to cling on to something, which is how they end up clinging on to stats while the other two major sports in this country cling on to, you know, what does it look like? How did it make you feel watching Archie Griffin run? How did it make you feel when Ezekiel Elliott ran 75 yards through the heart of the South? How does it make when those? How does it make you feel when J.K. Dobbins has two thousand yards? Oh, that's so that's maybe how it wraps this up because that's what Buckeye talk is. We we talk about feelings. Football and basketball. Oh, yeah. Football and basketball have become about feelings, while baseball has stayed with the numbers. That's well said. Mike Schmidt is actually five forty eight. Five twelve is Ernie Banks and Eddie Matthews, mm. which when I was ten, I don't I know who those people are. No, not the top of my head. I can always remember when I was growing up. The five leading home run guys were Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Frank Robinson, and Harmon Killebrew was fifth. And I was like, I was like, Harmon Killebrew is fifth. That's so crazy to me. Harmon Killebrew is now twelfth. So anyway, um, man, I used to know that stuff. But again, that's but I think that's good. Like baseball's having its best, most interesting season in how many years? Because they said, like, well, okay, we're just going to do the pitch clock, and it's going to be better for the game right now. Yeah. And guess what? The stolen base numbers are all out of whack compared to the past. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Like the game, the, the the games that people are paying to go watch that they're watching on TV are better. So that's the most important thing. And I think college football and the twelve team playoff era will be better, and we'll figure out the rest. It's our job to do it. It's our job to do it. But I think college football is set up for all of us to do that together and have an understanding of greatness that goes beyond the record book. Okay, that's it for this Buckeye talk. We'll have a market down Monday on Monday. We will have a traffic pod next week. We'll have a bunch of other stuff for now for Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>